Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joining me on the podcast this week is uh, my running back partner, Alex Wong. Alex, how are you doing? How are you, man? It's been a while since we created content together, so really excited about this. I was going to say, that if there's one shortage um, in the content game, it's uh, podcasts uh, featuring me and you. So I'm happy we're filling that void. Um, obviously, this doesn't happen a lot on Stephen LeBron Radio, which uh, we could just get that plug right off the top, actually. No, I really appreciate it. Um, actually, had someone DM me this week, uh, you know, telling me that, you know, they got put on Stephen LeBron Radio because of you. Uh, because you shared it so much and I replied to them yeah uh, you know I am piggybacking Will uh, to extend my career by 15 years and that's why I'm here and that's why you sent me an outline of topics and I spent this afternoon uh, putting 5,000 words into it so I'm ready man yeah I was gonna say I, I you know I would really appreciate the level of, of research you know um, as, I, as I told you this is probably the amount of research I put into like watching Rush Hour for like the 18th time in my life so um yeah so okay so my idea is uh always the same it's uh just 10 questions <laughs> just the number of 10 really i don't know it's just easy to make content around the number of 10 but my idea was sort of just coming with up with 10 burning questions um for the upcoming i guess like playoff seating games whatever obviously the we're, we're actually weirdly close to it now like well there's like two more weeks until games actually get played or scrimmages and stuff so we're almost there and um yeah, let, let's start with the first one. Um, I, I think I might have asked you this. I asked you and Big V this um, last year before the playoffs. Which player do you trust the most heading into the playoffs? This is burning question number one. Uh, you know, for me, I think I'm going to go with Kyle. Um, okay. You know, just because, and I know, I think it was Nick Nurse who said it uh, earlier this week that, you know, this is Kyle's team. Um, you know, for me, based on Kyle's performance in the playoffs uh, last season, especially in the biggest moments um, in the later rounds and, you know, just Kyle running this team and doing all the small things, um, you know, that don't show up in the box score. Um, I a hundred percent fully trust that, you know, those uh, things are going to be there in the postseason. And, you know, I think uh, maybe the one thing that is concerning uh, with Kyle would be his shooting, even though I think his shooting woes in the playoffs, um, well, he put that narrative to bed away last year. But, like, it's been overblown since he, like, famously went back to the court to put up shots after they lost game one to the Miami Heat in the second yeah. round. Um, and, you know, I say Kyle, too, because he was playing heavy minutes this season. And, you know, the pandemic uh, was great for him from that perspective in terms of getting the layoff and getting the rest and not having, having to worry about Kyle's minutes piling up going to the postseason. So if you were to ask me, I would go with Kyle. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy you brought that up because I think obviously Raptor fans, like by this point, we understand that the Kyle Lowry, you know, shrinks in the playoffs narrative is, is not true and everything like that. Um, but like, you know, if you, if you look into the numbers, not only is he not, is that like statement untrue is just like not statistically accurate. Like if you go back to the last three playoff runs, Kyle Lowry's true shooting percentage, 2017, 59%. 2018, 
2018, 66%, and then 58% in 2019, um, which is just rare. Like you, you go look at some of the, the guards outside of Steph Curry. It's, it's, it's just tough to see a lot of, um, you know, point guards um, maintain a true shooting percentage. And, and for context, league average is about 55. Um, to, for, for guards like that to sustain a high true shooting percentage is, is just kind of rare. And at, Kyle has been really, really good, man. And one thing I thought was interesting with, with what Nick Nurse brought up this week during our press conference was um, he kind of mentioned how Kyle was basically playing the best basketball of his career this year, which is not something you think about that often because he's 34 years old and you wouldn't expect that after a championship, after he's accomplished everything he's done. But I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like, do you think Kyle Lowry was playing um, some of his best basketball or just straight up his best basketball of his career this year? Yeah, you know, I think so. And remember, like, last year going into the playoffs, you know, I remember it was you uh, who said that it was going to be hard for Kyle to maybe get to, like, what, 15 or 20 points in a playoff game, right? Like, there were Mm -hmm. serious concerns about him uh, in terms of his ability to still get to the basket um, and, and, you know, being able to hold up over a long playoff run. And he obviously answered those questions. Um, Kyle probably had one of, if not the best, uh, 34-year-old years for a point guard in NBA Mm -hmm. history. I actually don't think that's wrong. Yeah, no, it's statistically, like, I I kept running this um, query on basketball reference because... When, when it's the off season, all you have to do is just speculate and worry about stuff that does not actually matter. Um, but yeah, like I, I was looking up, you know, sub six foot point guards over the age of 33 that were averaging even like 12 points per game. And the it was it returned like a list of like five, four or five players. Um, there was like last the last good Tim Hardaway senior year. Um there was obviously a lot of John Stockton on the list, but it, it just the list wasn't long. There wasn't a lot, not a lot of precedent um, for basically longevity for for shorter point guards. But I, I think the big difference now is, you know, a I think training is just better. Like even if you just compare it to the '90s or anything like that, or even the 2000s, training is just much better. Players are like players. I was thinking about this last night while I was listening to uh, your podcast while shooting a at, at, at a basketball court at like. 2 a.m. in the morning. Did you go nine for 16, or what's the official stats? Yo, I'm, I'm, I've been pretty good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm shooting a consistent like 55 percent from the mid range area. Right? Can you start recording yourself? Like, just put the phone, like you know, like by the basket, and then you can film yourself. I wouldn't mind the footage, to be honest. No, I know you wouldn't mind the footage, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll see what I could do. Maybe I'll maybe I'll borrow a gimbal or something. But um. But yeah, I was thinking about this and I was like, man, like there should be an article done on just like how athletes are extending their careers now. Because if you just look at like the older guys, like the, the aging curve just no longer really applies to a lot of modern day athletes. Like LeBron is still performing incredibly. Chris Paul is incredible, you know, incredible. Kyle Lowry has been incredible into their mid thirties. Um, you know, you look at like what's happening in tennis, right? How long has it been with, with you know, Federer and Nadal? Um, those guys have been really, really um just resilient. And if you look at, I mean, even like Tom Brady or whatever, like it's just all, all this stuff is not, not like unprecedented. Cause I think you've had a lot of great athletes perform relating to their careers, but it, it seems like that is now just expectation. But um, I, I think, you know, with, with Kyle too, it's, it's not only just training is better, but the fact that the three point shot for him, I mean, he's shooting a career high 8.3 threes per game. And I think that's just sustain a lot of just like aging, you know what I mean? Like, okay, maybe he can't get to the basket as much anymore, but if he's going to shoot eight threes a game, and hit them, you know, at a pretty elite clip, then, yeah, you're probably still going to be pretty damn good. And then the other thing is just, man, he's actually driving to the rim again. Because if you look at his free throw attempts, he's doubled them from last year, right? Last year, he wasn't driving as much, and it was concern. 
because the scoring was down. But this year, he's doubled it basically from three a game to 5.7 a game. So, yeah. And I think, especially I know, in the regular season this year, uh, they needed him more, right? Like last year, yeah. I think Kyle, um, you know, he, he would probably admit that he coasted through uh, part of the regular season and he was really unhappy, obviously, in the first uh, half of the season until I think Masai threatened to trade him to Utah, probably at the trade deadline. And like they sat down and had that talk. And, you know, when everybody was in and out of the lineup this season, you know, when Kyle was playing with those injured lineups, like he really stepped up offensively. And, you know, I think um, he took it on himself to do that. And like he's like you mentioned, it's actually really interesting to think about, uh, you know, kind of these guys extending their careers now, because you would think that, you know, this one year extension that Kyle signed before the start of the season, that might be the last big contract for him. But if you look at Mm -hmm. his performance on the court and you ignore the history, um, you know, of point guards after they turn 35, like, yeah, you know, it's possible Kyle can still play like three, four years uh, on a contending team. Now, you know, is he going to take as big of a role, uh, you know, as he has now? You know, probably not. But like you mentioned, the shooting and also just, you know, we've talked about his basketball IQ, you know, over and over again. Uh, I feel like those things will translate well, even though, you know, he might kind of physically decline. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it is funny when you think back on it, like I think the – the common sentiment was, okay, we give Kyle this big payment so that uh, he'll take a discount on the line. It's like, I don't know, man. He's living up to that contract. <laughs> it's not like this was not a, a case of charity or some sort of wink-wink deal. Like, he's he's maintained it. Um, so you, you have Kyle as the guy you trust the most heading to the playoffs. Um, for me, Kyle, I had three guys on the list. Kyle was definitely one of them. Um, you know, the other two guys I had on the list were Pascal and Mark. So Pascal, I mean, even though I think there are questions in his game and, you know, I think it, he's, he's going to have the – by far the hardest role to play, um, you know, in the upcoming playoffs as the number one guy. I, I just think that after seeing what he did last year throughout the playoffs, in terms of just like um, the way teams guarded him, the way he's since taken that information and adjusted it, and the mentality that he had to sort of like um, he started out strong in the in the in the in the Orlando series, was averaging like twenty three points per game, was doing really well, and then the Philly series, obviously with Embiid guarding him and um, you know, that was difficult for him. The Bucks were really, really tough matchup for him as well. He didn't really score as much there. But then he bounced back really strong in, in the um in the in the Warrior series. And I just feel like I don't know, man, with, with Pascal, it's just it's it's not gonna be new to him anymore. You know what I mean? Like they're not gonna spring any new traps on him. Right. Um whatever they're gonna do to Pascal, they did it to him last year already. So I, I think he I'm I'm less worried about Pascal in that sense. And I know mentally he's I don't know, he's just a tough guy, man. He's gonna get through it. Yeah, you know, I hope that, you know, so much of this regular season too, before the season was suspended, was him getting used to some of that extra attention that, Mm -hmm. you know, he was getting from opposing teams. And obviously we saw him struggle at times. uh, But I also wonder too, you know, number one, you know, were we setting expectations too high for Pascal? Because I feel like he exceeded expectations right away um, coming out of the season, right? Like there was so uh, many questions about him, um, after he signed his extension after Kawhi left and he had such a strong start to the season. Like you are going to struggle, you know, when you go up against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, or, you know, when you go up against the Bucks, um, and you know, you have Giannis, um, and and that defense, you know, that's not like a Pascal specific thing. You know, every player is going to go through that. Uh, the one thing that I think is that you can feel good about Pascal going to these playoffs is just the fact like his learning curve and he just always figures things out right 
Like I think so much about at the start of the season. Remember when Nick Nurse was doing his thing of calling out, uh, you know, a different player every day, and he was calling out. He called out Pascal for his foul trouble because he was uh, fouling yeah. too much, right? And he told Pascal yeah. to knock it off, and Pascal did that. Um, and it's just like every challenge you put in front of Pascal. Um, he kind of just, you know, eventually figures it out. For me, it's about him, like, finding that fine line between staying aggressive when the shots aren't falling, but also mm-hmm. not kind of forcing the issue. Um, I know he's not, like, an elite-level playmaker, but, like, I think that's the part he's got to figure out as a number one guy, especially in the playoffs. Um, that was one of the things that we saw DeMar struggle with a lot, right? And mm, for me, it's like, even if Pascal is struggling on the off- offensive end, he can still be a net positive on the floor, on both ends of the floor, without, like, scoring 25 points a game, which I don't think DeMar could have ever done, you know, as a number one no, guy in the if playoffs. If he wasn't scoring, then, you know. If he wasn't scoring, he was going to flagrant foul Jordan Clarkson. Um, so, <laughs> like, the thing with me is um, I do trust Pascal, but I do want to see how he figures that out when the offense isn't really flowing for him or when the three-point shot isn't falling for him. Yeah, that's fair. And honestly, if he fails, I, I think um, we shouldn't necessarily be surprised by it either because it's just a much bigger jump. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I just think, you know, just there not being any more new surprises, I think is going to be big for him, right? I think an in-series adjustment for him to t- you know, take that time to figure it out, you have to rebuild your confidence, everything like that. That's a bigger adjustment than just him. Like, you know, he's seen centers guarding him this year. He's, he's seen teams play him different ways this year, double teaming the post and stuff like that. Like, I don't know, man. It's not like, I don't know. Uh, there's no Nickters on the other side coaching against Pascal, putting a box on one on Pascal. So I think he's going to be see everything um, that um, he's already seen before. And then the third guy I had was just Mark. Um, you know, we could talk about Mark in much more depth later on, but I just think, look, Mark is obviously great on defense, totally dependable on that end. And he's just, if you look at his playoff history, he's been a baller in the playoffs. Like, um, especially with Memphis, uh, a lot of those years, it was Mark carrying the team. And I- I'm, I'm pretty confident in Mark. Um, the the second burning question I have then is, who do you trust the least heading into the playoffs? This is burning question number two. Yeah, that's a really good question. I know you uh, put out some candidates uh, with Fred and Norm. That's a tough one for me. Um, I, I guess if you were to make me pick, I would say Fred, just because okay. you know, even though uh, we know what he did, you know, towards the end of that Milwaukee Bucks series, and obviously uh, getting a Finals MVP vote from Hubie Brown in the NBA finals, um, you know, there's still concerns about whether, you know, he does, if, if that size, if size is going to bother him or if he can go into a shooting slump over a seven game series, you know, if you were to ask me to pick out of those core guys, uh, who's most likely to go into those slumps, I think I would still pick Fred. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think Fred has shown a lot this year for sure, but it is still a question for me just because, you know, if you look at, okay, so first year as a rookie, didn't really play much in the playoffs. You know, obviously he was like the fourth string point guard. He was not going to play. Um, you know, 2018, so he's a leader of the bench mob, but of course he gets hurt in the last game of the season, game 82, when the Raptors chasing 60 wins. He misses the majority of that Wizards series. And then, you know, it's not totally fair because I'm sure he was not 100%. I'm sure they rushed him back a little bit just so he can be available, but he shot 32% in five games in that playoff run, you know, not great. And then if you look at last year, so obviously you split it in the middle. Um, there's, or not split down the middle, but the first 15 games of the playoffs, Fred was shooting 25% from the field. Man. And of course he, he came, he came back strong, really strong, right? Not last nine games. He shoots 51%. He shoot averages 15 points per game. He gets a finals MVP vote because he was legitimately um, massive and, and the Raptors winning the championship. But, 
I, I just, I guess it's, it's not necessarily, I don't trust them. It's just sort of like, I, I just want to know where that range is. Cause that right now there's a lot of variability um, in terms of just this, the sample of, of Fred in the playoffs. And, um, you know, do you think he's made any meaningful changes and adjustments that, you know, might make him more effective against a team like Philly or um, I guess he was effective against Milwaukee, but, you know, I guess Orlando and stuff like that? Yeah, well, we saw him, like, do well against Philly in the regular season, you know, yeah. this year. And, you know, I think it's just a combination of, you know, he added a bit of range to his three-pointer. So, you know, he can kind of shoot from maybe a little bit further out just to create that space. But the thing with Fred is like, the problem is just always going to go back to the fact that he's not six, five, right? Like you see him get to the basket. He's able to get to the basket, but finishing, he's not even six. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. That's the problem. Like he's, he's like, you know, when he gets to the basket, he's still going to have that problem finishing uh, against guys with size. And I don't really want to make this sound like, um, you know, I'm actually, you know, pretty high on Fred going to the playoffs. But like, if you were to make me pick, I mean, he's the most, likely guy i feel like and you know the good thing for the raptors is they do have the options to like not have him in closing lineups if that's an issue right that is true that is true um but i mean you know with norman powell um again he's had a fantastic season this year like don't get me wrong i'm not trying to hate on either of these guys i'm a really big fan of both those players but you know if you look at just the playoff history with norman powell outs he's had just incredible peaks kind of just like fred um, you know, same deal. He shot 12 or 13 in a series against the Bucs in 2017. Um, you know, he had obviously great moments against the Bucs last year. But if you just look at it on the whole, man, like it's it's also not that great. I mean, the shooting percentages aren't as bad. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. We haven't necessarily seen like sustained success from Norm. And I guess maybe that's not fair because none of these guys have been in this big of a position before. We got to like, you know, you can't necessarily expect them to do it when they've never been asked to do it before. But at the same time, you know, Norm has been such a big part of the Raptors offense this year. Um, you know, 16 points per game this year, uh, you know, I, I pretty much 20 points per game consistently um, for like two, three months. It was unbelievable to see. But at the same time, like, are, are you confident that you can get this type of Norm production in the playoffs? Or is there anything you see that might not necessarily be sustainable or anything like that? Um Again, if we're just trying to nitpick, because again, you know, we're without basketball and you, you just fret about basketball. Yeah, and Asians love to nitpick. Um, so, you know, I think for Norm, I mean, uh, on the on the positive side, you can say that like he did shoot 40% from three last season as well, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that he's shooting around there isn't exactly an outlier. And I think, you know, him just making smarter decisions uh, on the offensive end and just being more aggressive and settling into that role. I think a lot of those things that he did in the last couple months of the season before it was suspended uh, were real permanent changes. But at the same time, when you look at his production, right, like you talk about the 20 points. I mean, we're talking about like James Harden coming off the bench for the Thunder level production. Like if you were to like do a comp, right? And if you tell me that Norm is going to bring that in the playoffs and you can pencil in 15, 20 points off the bench and he's able to lift some of those second unit lineups when Kyle's on the floor or when Nick has to play two bench guys, then it, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's like probably one of the biggest X factors to me, like in the whole playoffs, uh, not just for the Raptors, but in the East, because he's just like raises their ceiling completely. Um, I guess it's hard to answer that question, like you said, because we've never seen that before. Uh, from norm 
because he's never been in this big of a role. So I'm really curious to see that because if he does carry that over, then I think it changes uh, everything for the Raptors. Yeah, I d- definitely agree. I definitely agree. But again, that's the thing. You, you kind of need him to carry it over, right? Like Just like you need Fred to carry over his 18 points per game. Like You need this offense because the Raptors, I mean, we'll talk about the offense in the next question, but um, it's big. It's, it's big. That's the question. We know the Raptors can defend. We know that. Um, but it, it's just the scoring part. And um, yeah, I, and again, it's not like we don't trust these guys specifically. I think they've given us lots of reasons to trust them this year, and I totally want to believe them. I'm just saying like, these are kind of the bit of a wild card kind of situation with both these guys. Um, speaking of the offense, third um, burning question. Um, I guess the question is, what stat do you believe in more? The fact that the Raptors are second in clutch offense this year or that they're 14th in half-court offense? Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, can we kind of split it in the middle somehow? Because um, okay. <laughs> I, I do think, you know what? I'm going to go with the clutch offense. Um, okay. I, I just feel like, you know, I, I know in the regular season, uh, a lot of those clutch stats are still very small sample sizes. But like just having Kyle and Mark on the floor as decision makers uh, late in the game and, you know, Pascal's ability to create one on one and, you know, the Raptors ability to have five shooters on the floor uh, in closing lineups. And I think that all adds up to why the Raptors were able to be so effective in crunch time. And to be honest, I know we're talking about the playoffs. Um, I don't even I'm not even concerned about their half court offense until they run into Milwaukee. If we're talking about the Eastern Conference, you know, I feel like they'll they have enough to kind of figure it out against some of these other teams, whether it's a Boston, Miami. um, Who am I missing? Am I missing anyone? Philadelphia, I guess. Um, But yeah, I'm not really concerned. And I feel like, you know, if you want to believe in the Raptors, like for the playoffs, and I know we talked about kind of. Uh, guys we trust the most and, and things like that. You kind of have to believe in them as a group though, right? Like you can't just say that, you know, uh, Pascal is the one that's going to lead them to the finals or it's just going to be Kyle. Uh, it has to be a combination of those top seven guys and, and whoever else Nick plays in, in the rotation, right? It's kind of like, what do they say? It's like the whole being greater than the sum of its parts mm-hmm. thing. Like if you want to believe in the Raptors and if you want to believe in their crunch time offense or half court offense um you have to believe that you know the cohesiveness of those five guys that are out there is what's going to make them effective yeah definitely and um you know i, I think also when, when you look at okay for first up half court offense is only telling um some of the story obviously that specifically uh excludes transition offense which the raptors are devastating in transition um they're i think they're second in points per play and then first in transition opportunities per game but essentially they're really good and obviously a lot of that is just they're great defensively they cause turnovers live ball turnovers and they run the other way or they force misses um and of course you know when people say that it's like okay well in the playoffs everything slows down stuff like that it's like that's true to an extent it's not like there's no transition offense at all in the playoffs um you know, I would say uh, Chris Middleton trying to put a ball behind his back during a 24 <laughs> You love run. referencing that play. <laughs> and then getting stolen by Fred and Kyle and leading to a Kawhi uh, hammer dunk on Giannis. I feel like that, I mean, you know, that that's a transition play right there in, in, a, in a game six setting to, to advance into the finals. I love that play from Middleton just because, like, bro, you just stick to what you're good at, man. Just, like, just be a skinny Tobias Harris over there. Like, you don't need to put the ball behind your back. Like, it's just... <laughs> Um, this is going to be like when Matt Thomas tries to post up Chris Chioza in the first round. <laughs> no, I'll take I'll take that bet, man. I, 
I, I know <laughs> I know he's got a low post game. I know that. Um, but yeah, like you know, transition is still a, you know, a thing. Like last year, the Raptors had eighteen percent of their possessions last year throughout the playoffs. We're still in transition, so we're, it's not like this is going to disappear. Um, there's still going to be a lot of transition. The Raptors are going to be really good in transition. Um, but I do think there's some issues with the half-court offense. Um, you know, I, I think obviously not having Kyle, not having Pascal, um, you know, just having sort of missing pieces from a lot of the year does hurt the offense as a whole. But I also do think that, like, the Raptors might not just might not necessarily be built to be a super high-efficiency half-court offense in the regular season. Because if you look at, like, who the most efficient half-court offenses are, it's like Dallas because it's Luka Doncic has the ball every single play, running pick-and-roll. And of course, he's fantastic. He's just a you know incredible passer, great score, great shooter, stuff like that. But like you know, that you're more likely to create a half court offense if you're running it through a su- one superstar and he's dominating the ball. Um, but the downside to that is if you can somehow find a defensive scheme to take away that superstar, then all of a sudden the rest of your team um, might struggle on offense. And I think the Raptors have specifically built a very team oriented offense that might not necessarily maximize efficiency in the moment. But they're maybe a little bit more impervious to like specifically taking away one guy. Because I think even if a team neutralized Pascal, which will probably be the most devastating, I think the Raptors could still generate enough offense around Pascal to make it work. Whereas if you if you somehow took Giannis out of the game, if you somehow took Luka Doncic out of the game, that's you know uh, Mavs and Bucks are first and second in a you know half court offense. If you took those guys out of the game, that offense is dying. So. I don't know, maybe or maybe that's just me trying to defend the team. But no, I think I think those are really good points. And the other thing too is, you know, this is gonna have to be more like kind of the Spurs, I wanna say. Like, you know, when they yep. played against the Miami Heat uh during those years, you know, Tim Duncan was obviously past his prime, still a really good player, and Kawhi was still just kind of coming in his own, obviously not uh, a number one option type player like he is now, uh clearly. But, you know, they relied a lot on kind of the five-man unit and the ball movement and finding the best shot. And I feel like that, you know, if you want to feel positive about the Raptors, like you have to think that that's the type of execution, um, you know, that's going to be positive for them in the playoffs. But, you know, on the other side, uh, you could argue that, you know, not having that clear-cut number one guy, I don't know if like not establishing that hierarchy, especially in crunch time, is going to be a problem. But that just goes back to like issues that we've always talked about. Like, you know, if Mark has the open three like he has to take that shot um you know and not make that extra pass and and just guys being aggressive so again i guess it just goes back to whether um you trust that you know those five guys on the floor are going to execute and you know what i do with with this team yep um also yeah uh clutch offense i mean you know raptors want a lot more kyle lowry uh pascal siakam pick and rolls and stuff like that i think that's a nice adjustment that you know they can make and, and they have made in, in the crunch time and stuff like that. And we could definitely see a lot more of that you know, in the playoffs. So uh, again, you know, I don't think the Raptors are an elite offense as a whole. I don't want to give that impression, but I do think that this idea that they're just like in a very average offensive team is kind of misguided in a couple of ways. Um, key question number four, uh, Raptors are only 11 and 14 versus teams above 500 this year. Is this a concern for you? Uh, yes, but not as big as I feel like people are making it out to be. Um, you know, when I look at it, I mean, we could go through some of the individual games and point out the injuries. We can also look at, you know, how they beat the Lakers on the road shorthanded and then almost beat the Clippers. Um, I think a night later, um, you know, without 
Cal, and Surge. Uh, but obviously, you know, they had that stretch in December where they, they lost to a lot of good teams. Uh, you know, when Kawhi came back, uh, you know, they lost to Miami twice this season. Um, I remember that Houston game, you know, when Nick stuck with, uh, what was it? He did like that full court, that half court press on James oh, yeah. Harden and they lost and then everybody copied Nick. Um, but for me, it's like, I feel like you have to give the Raptors a little bit of credit as uh, the defending champions. Uh, and, you know, when a team has gone through and shown that they can beat uh, elite competition in the playoffs, uh, don't we usually give those teams the benefit of the doubt? going into the postseason, and we don't really look at those uh, postseason records. And especially because the Raptors are defending champions, and you can point out that Kawhi's not here, Danny Green's not here, but they had a really good regular season. They're still the defending champions. Uh, don't you feel like the Raptors deserve a little bit of that too in, in terms of, I feel like when I look at these records, again, you know, one and two against Boston. Uh, I think what Pascal was hurt on Christmas, 0-2 versus Miami. Um, they had a really terrible shooting game in Miami. I'm not concerned about any of these teams in a seven-game series outside of Milwaukee. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think when, you know, when I went back and sort of broke down like the individual matchups and stuff like that um, in last week's podcast with Brad, who uh, you also had on Stephen LeBron Radio. Um, yeah, once again, much, just, co- to, just copying your just career. Trying, yeah. I'm just trying to set a record for how many times I can plug your podcast <laughs> that you can find on iTunes and Spotify. And other yeah, 20, 20 episodes left. So uh, way, way to join with four weeks left, everyone. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of good stuff on there, man. It's uh, probably my most listened to podcast, especially during the quarantine. Um, it's probably because it's you. You made more episodes of that uh, than I have of you know anything really <laughs> in the last couple of months. But um, yeah, the funny thing with the 500 record is, if you look at last year's Raptors, obviously they won the championship and stuff. They played a lot of 500 teams um, and above uh, throughout the playoffs. Uh, they were only 22 and 20 last year <laughs> versus teams above 500. Um, now, of course, obviously, there was Kawhi last year. It's a different factor, like completely. I'm not. What I'm just trying to say is that 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 number specifically isn't the tell all. Isn't just like this. Um, you know, just to say the whole story necessarily. Like Milwaukee was 28 and 13 against, uh, you know, against above 500 teams last year, and um, you know, then they got swept. So, um, I, I think you know, I think context factors into this. I think um, you know, it's just even in some games like. It, you look at that Miami game, for example. They were competitive in both Miami games. They shot 25% in those two games, including one game where they shot 6 of 42. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I'm, I'm not saying it's, like, going to be necessarily easy, but I don't think the Raptors are some sort of paper tiger necessarily either. Like, I, I don't think it's, like, a 2017-18 situation where they're a 60-win team, but, you know, um, you just don't fully trust the team. Like, I, I do trust this team. I, I know they can play defense. I know they can guard against all these teams, kind of as you mentioned. And yeah, I mean, as Nick Nurse likes to put it, it's not necessarily about like how many times you can, um, you, you know, it's just you, what your overall record is above 500 teams. It's like how many, they're going to be a very tough team to beat four, te- four times out of seven because they're versatile, because they, you know, they're resilient, because they have, they're smart, they have good coaching, and they're talented. And so, you know, and of course, even if they lost in the second round, like if they were to face uh, the Celtics in the second round, and God forbid they lose to the Celtics. It's not necessarily a shame in losing to the Celtics, man. The Celtics are a really good team. Like, there's a lot of really good teams in the East. But, um, yeah, I don't know. On the whole, I'm not as concerned about it either. I just, I, It's not like 1 in, I don't know, 20 or something like that. And you're like, okay, that's clearly something. No, and I think, you know, like we're going to break down all this stuff. And I'm sure we'll do a 45-minute episode uh, previewing Raptors magic in the first round. I can't at wait. At some point. Uh, but, like to me is clear with the Raptors. Like there's just, 
it's Milwaukee and whichever team comes out of the West that they're going to have problems with. And I'm really not concerned about the rest of the competition, to be honest. Mm. Okay, well, key question number five. Uh, how much does uh, Marcus All need to bring to the table? Um, yeah, I think this is like the same as last year, right? Um, mm-hmm. Where, you know, we kept asking and, you know, wanting Mark to be more aggressive on offense. And, you know, what? You don't want him to swing the ball to Jeremy Lin? <laughs> Come on, man. Oh, man. Shout out to Jeremy Lin, man. Um, NBA champion, baby. We should be next to get sponsored by Tiger Bomb, is all I'm saying. I, I can't think keep of saying this. Yeah, don't even. You know, who else? Who else deserves it more? People are gonna say Simu Lu. Come on, this guy's got Marvel money. We need Tiger Bomb money. Yeah, um, we need Tiger Bomb. So yeah, I think it just goes back to the same uh, thing as last year uh, in terms of you know is Mark going to shoot those shots that he's gonna get on offense? But I mean, this man is legit in the best shape of his life. Um, yeah, he looked fantastic. Man. He finally went on camera today and, and looked. Yeah, great. I saw those photos that you guys posted. Imagine, imagine if someone told you at the start of this season that Mark was gonna look like this mm. in July, and also they were gonna be playing basketball in July. Uh, but like, yeah, I think it just goes back to the same questions because you know what Mark's gonna bring otherwise, right? Um, you know, on the defensive end and as a facilitator on the offensive end, just one of the smartest guys in the game. I think it just goes back again. You talk about needing to lift those offensive stats. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about OG in a bit, but to me, like Mark's one of the guys who can kind of lift the Raptors offense in the playoffs. Um, Yeah. And, you know, to to put this into context of just like how little Mark has shot this year, I prepared a small quiz. Um, (laughs) It's, it's called uh, over or under, but, um, it, so it's over under has this oh, sorry, more or less has this player sh- shot more times per 36 minutes in terms of field goal attempts more field goal attempts per 36 minutes than marcus saw okay so i'll start with you right here chris boucher oh chris boucher thinks he's kevin durant so he's definitely shot more than marcus all definitely definitely uh he, he's actually it's it's way more um what about uh ronde hollis jefferson Oh, come on. This got to be a trick question, man. Um, all right, fine. I'm going to say Rondé has higher numbers. R- Rondé has shot more per 36 minutes than Marcus Gasol. Even though, even though Rondé, you know, um, shoots the way he does, and, and that includes layups. Uh, I, honestly, yo, me and Rondé got to get a late-night shooting session in at um, that's, <laughs> that school I was shooting at. I just, I just want to see something. Um, Stanley Johnson. Okay. More that's or less than Marcus Gasol. Less than Mark. No. <laughs> Okay, first of all, first of all, how many shots overall has Stanley Johnson taken this year? It doesn't matter, but that's that's why it's per. Did you include all his volunteer trips to nine oh five? There's no way. If if I include those, then um, then he's definitely above Mark. What Um, was Stanley Johnson's per thirty six field goal attempts? Eleven eleven point six field goal attempts um, per thirty six minutes at a twenty six percent field goal percentage. Uh, That one was a little tough. Um, O'Shea Brissett. All right, I guess these guys are all over. O'Shea is over. Yeah. And then Malcolm Miller. Malcolm Miller, my guy. Uh, over. <laughs> no, that's the only one that's under. Okay. No, but I Him think... Him and Pat McCaw, that's it. Um, but you, should have, you could have stopped at Rondé. Like, you made your point with Rondé. I think that's ridiculous that Rondé's averaging higher field goal attempts for 36 than Mark. Yeah, Mark's at 8.6 per game, um, uh, per, per 36 minutes, which is, like, again, like, it's only Pat McCaw below him and, Mal- and Malcolm Miller. Malcolm Miller doesn't play 
and he can't create his own shot. And then Pat McCall refuses to shoot anything. And and so I just think the point here is just like Mark, it's, it's not even necessarily, um, you know, all because of the fitness and everything like that. Or he's, you know, he's, he's lost a bit of his touch near the pain. He can't post up as much anymore. It's just like he's just not shooting the ball, period. Right. Um, and, and it's not like this is some sort of distant. This is like we got Marcus, you know, we got Pau Gasol or something like that, or he hasn't been good in five years. Right. This is, you know, Marcus last year with Memphis before the trade was averaging 16 points per game. Now, whatever, 16 points in Memphis. A lot of people can do that. But still, you need to shoot the ball that much. And he was 17 a game before that. And of course, 19 a game before that as well. So um, if you just look at Mark this year, man, he's just not shooting the ball. And that's something he talked about. And, in, in, um, you know, he talked to reporters today. He's just sort of like, look, it's been a frustrating season for me just because he knows that he's let the team down. He, he can provide more. And um I, just, I don't know, man. I just, it's not even necessarily I want him change, to see him change his game all that much, but I just do think you need balance from, from your scoring. Like, if you, if you have struggles scoring the ball, if you're going to see teams, you know, uh, doubling Pascal in the post or, or, or really stacking the paint on his drives or, you know, same thing with Kyle and Fred and running them off the three point line, forcing them to finish at the rim, you know, same thing with Norm or something like that, you know, you're going to need scoring from your center. And of course, we know Serge can do it. Um, and we know Serge will do it, but you know we, we also need Mark to bring that aspect as well because he's going to be the starting center. And yeah, man, I just give me some like you know some mid range shots from Mark. I know that's not the most effective or most efficient, but you know in the playoff setting, I I, I you know especially if the game gets tight, I do want to see Mark get in the mid range. I do want to see him you know picking and popping specifically looking for a shot. I want to see him roll hard to the basket if only so he can get low post position that he can you know score in a little hook shot or something because. There's more there. And, of course, I, I also just kind of want to see Mark shoot, like, I don't know, like seven threes a game. Because yeah, he has he, seven open threes a game, period. Oh, for sure. And he's got to be shooting, like, around 40% from three. Yeah, 40, and, yeah. and, like, I don't think he's ever going to get to, like, seven or eight threes a game. But if you can, like, split the difference and he attempts, like, five. Basically, like, if Serge is putting up five threes a game, Mark should be yeah. at least matching that. Um, yeah, you know, we know Mark, he's Mark needs to get... Oh, yeah. Mark needs to get a little bit of that confidence from Serge because Serge never hesitates when he sees a three. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we got to get we got to get a, we got to get a Jordy for Mark. <laughs> wow. The obligatory. This is the 45th straight uh, show of any kind we've done where we've referenced uh, Jordy. Shout outs, Jordy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. If you're going to put a let, let's let's do a little prediction. How many points per game do you think Mark scores in the playoffs this year? Over under 12.5. Over under 12.5. Wow, that's a great line. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go under. I'm going to say averages 12 points a game. Okay. I might have to say over, but I mean, again, I, I want to say over, but again, I also recognizing that Marcus Gasol has a grand total of six games this year where he scored more than 12.5 points. Yeah, just picturing year. Mark getting to 15 oh. points sounds like a lot. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, last year when the Raptors, obviously the Raptors needed less scoring from Mark last year, but when they needed him to score a little bit, he was able to provide that still. And, you know, if you know, obviously there was that 20-point game in, the, in, I think, game one against the Warriors. That, you know, they were really blitzing the perimeter. Um, and, but, you know, he had 17 points against Milwaukee. Uh, that was uh, in game four. You know, he had a really good game there. He had, he had, so the scoring is still possible with Mark. I, I just think that, like, I don't know. It's not out of the question to ask for 13 points per game for Mark uh, on top of the great defense. It's just, uh, you know, with the with the reshaped body and everything like that, um, hopefully that comes. Uh, burning question number six. Uh, what's Terrence Davis's role in the playoffs? 
Yeah, I think this will be interesting because we know who the top seven guys are. Um, mm-hmm. I would say, I want to say Terrence Davis is going to be the eighth guy, but, um, you know, don't you think it's going to end up being Pat McCaw? Well, I mean, okay, so yes, I think, I think the numbers suggest that Pat will be there. I think Nick values defense more than offense. And, I, you know, I, I, I do think McCaw is a better defender than, than TD is at the moment, um, him being a rookie and everything like that. But, um. I don't know, man. I also kind of hope for a little bit better. It seems like, you know, um, I, I don't know if it was said necessarily super explicitly, but Terrence is sort of like, they're expecting me to become more of a playmaker and, and um, you know, just be have a bigger role and stuff like that. And so, you know, maybe we got to ask Nick outright about this. Um, but, you know, I, I could see it, man, especially if you're struggling for offense. You know, TD's a guy who's been confident. I think he's talked a lot about how he wants to earn the trust of his teammates. And I think he feels that way. He feels like he's earned the trust of the, the coaching staff. And, you know, I, maybe it's not necessarily the consistent eighth man. Cause I think the eighth man is going to rotate all the time, depending on the situation. The Raptors have a lot of good options, but um, yeah. I mean, would you be surprised if TD came in and gave you like, there was a random game where you explosed our 17 points off the bench in like a key road victory against uh you know, Golden or not Golden State, but like the, the Boston Celtics. Like, I wouldn't. I think yeah, he has that know, kind of confidence. Um, you mean like him dunking on Chris Middleton and then looking at the camera and saying he can't guard me again? Um, <laughs> I could totally see that happening. No, uh, I think we've seen so much uh, from TD in his rookie season, especially like he was he was a huge part of a lot of those fourth quarters. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, when the Raptors pulled out close games, and you know, it's just a huge part of the offense. He's obviously not lacking in confidence um the question like you mentioned is you know whether nick is going to trust him and have a really quick hook um on the defensive end right Mm because you know i think nick having those options uh i think the eighth uh eighth man role is going to come down to i want to say td mccaw and ronde Mm -hmm. depending on the situation in the series and and i guess to a lesser extent it'll be chris boucher and matt thomas who who i don't i think they're gonna get some looks but you know Probably not as you get deeper into the playoffs. So no, I wouldn't be surprised. And I mean, even if he plays the the, the Jody Meeks role and just mm. comes in for like those two to three minute spurts, <laughs> where where you just need to like buy some minutes for the starters, uh, you know, I think TD is a much better option than what they had last year. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. As much as I love, you know, Jeremy Lin. I mean, come on, man. It was. Uh... It was not there for Jeremy, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, if you look at sort of the way Nick handled the rotation last year, pretty clear it was a strict eight-man rotation. Obviously, earlier in the Orlando series and maybe at the start of the Philly series, he gave, like, those little Jody Meeks minutes, the little McCaw minutes, a little, little tiny sprinkling of Jeremy Lin dribbling the basketball off his foot uh, and missing wide-open threes. Um, Come on, man. <laughs> Yo, I mean, that was unfortunate, man. But, you know, he's still a champion and he's still Asian. So that's 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 the most important part. But it was an eight-man rotation, right? Um, and, you know, this year, obviously, they have seven guys that so they can trust. So um, I'm expecting kind of similar results there. And I think for TD, it's really just the, – maybe the main, the main difficulty is just the Raptors have three guards that they really trust that, that they're going to play heavy minutes to in, in Kyle and in Fred and Norm. And those three guys – very well could just take up most of the minutes there. I mean, you know, if you look at sort of the way the Raptors played last year, they had four guards in that sort of shuffling through that rotation, Kyle, Danny Green, Fred, and and Norm to a smaller extent. Um, so maybe they will make that space. But I also do think that with the way the Raptors are constructed this year, I might think they're more likely to play bigger than they are to play smaller 
and to create more minutes for guards, just because you might see more of those surge and, and mark uh, lineups together. Um, you know, and Nick, Nick seems to love, you know, uh, teasing that. So, yeah. But he, I mean, look, listen, we, we could use, we could use some pretty good, um, um, Terrence Davis moments in the playoffs because I do think his confidence is really unique for a rookie. Yeah, you know, I think it'll be super interesting, um, you know, for him to maybe get some run, especially in the first round, which, you know, projects to be a pretty easy series, I think, for the Raptors. Um, just to get some of that experience. You never know how rookies are, are going to perform on the playoffs too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's always a struggle for most rookies. It, it, it almost always is, but... I, it's just something about his confidence, man. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> it's just you know, in it's some of some, these bigger but, games, but it's, it's something about this. It's something about this whole team, right? Yeah. Like, like I feel like TD, but but also kind of just everyone on this team. There's, I feel like their confidence gives uh, the fans a lot of confidence about them. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, burning question number. What are we on? Seven. Yeah, seven. Uh, what do we expect from OG in this year's playoff run? Yeah, so I have huge expectations for OG, okay. especially after he missed, uh, obviously, the entire playoffs last season, which was really unfortunate because I feel like similar to what we talked about with Pascal, that would have been a great uh, learning curve for him, uh, especially playing next to Kawhi. But, I mean, you look at what OG has done on the defensive end. I mean, is it, like, impossible that he could be, like, that shutdown perimeter defender? Like, if they go up against... uh Boston in the second round, like, you know, I'm not saying he's going to entirely lock down Jason Tatum, but, you know, he could, you know, make him not score 20 points a game. Like he could be a huge X factor, I feel like. And even in the Milwaukee series, right? Like, I don't know if, you know, he's going to be part of the coverage on Giannis or maybe he'll guard Chris Middleton or whoever it might be. Um, I have huge expectations for him, especially because he was so good two years ago. Yeah. And, and I'm happy you mentioned that because, you know, that was a lot of why OG had so much hype around him. Obviously, he had a nice pl- a rookie year in the sense that, you know, the expectation was, okay, maybe not be ready because it was ACL injury in, in college. Um, that's why he dropped in the draft. And, you know, maybe he was going to be slow to recover. But instead, he does start the season. He takes over the starting spot um, from Norm, who was just wildly inconsistent at that point, and takes it and runs with it. He has a great game guarding James Harden. Um and, you know, uh, th- but, you know, he was still a guy who was giving you like five, six points per game. He just wasn't really that much of a factor uh, at all offensively and, and did pretty well defensively, but he was still a rookie. But the most eye-opening part is, you know, he did go into that playoffs and he was pretty good. I mean, he had that, I mean, look, all, all, all people ever remember is the fact that LeBron <laughs> made that game winner and OG's the guy guarding him. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, OG in that game was also the guy who hit the three to tie the game to, to force LeBron to even have to hit that in the first place. And he had 18 in that game. Um, OG, you know, he, he showed, he, he showed a lot in that, in that first platform. And of course, last year he didn't play. So I, I just think, you know, with OG, like he's just going to be so important because pretty much every single series or Raptors play, you're going to need like a really good series from OG. Um, not just defensively, but offensively as well. Most importantly, defensively, um, you know, if they, if in some sort of weird situation, they have to slip into like, um, you know, the third seed, and they got to play like, uh, you know, like an Indiana or you know, like a like like a Philly in the first round, um, you're gonna need OG. You're gonna need OG to guard Ben Simmons. He's been a big part of that coverage. Uh, you're gonna need OG to cover uh, Victor Oladipo, um, or whoever. To, you know, I guess the Pacers don't necessarily have a big wing, 
Um, but the second round, obviously, as you mentioned, you know, Tatum, uh, obviously Giannis. And of course, if the Raptors get to the finals, whoever's coming out of that you know, situation, whether it's Kawhi or LeBron, like it's, it's OG again. So like he has, he has a really, really big role to play, I think. And um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because it's, you can almost see what you want from OG because there's, he will show enough flashes where you're like, man, there's, there's a lot here. But then he'll also disappear for a while, and you're you're just like, yeah, okay, he can defend, but he's kind of nothing really important on offense. And you know, and I don't know, it's a it's a good showcase for him to to to, to showcase, it, you know, and basically just put himself in that category of just up and coming wing players, um, because you know you got a you got a guy like Jonathan Isaac who gets a lot of hype and praise, and he deserves it, man. He's a really talented guy, can do a lot. I don't know, man. OG can do a lot of what Isaac does. Isaac's a little bigger. Um, but I don't know, man. OG does a lot of the similar stuff. And, you know, t- I, I think especially for OG, he's coming up on an extension year as well on his rookie contract. He's extension eligible this summer. Um, you know, he could do a lot for himself. I'm just, that's all I'm saying. And the Raptors really need a lot from him. Yeah, no, I think I have really high expectations for him um, in the playoffs. And, you know, you talk about like two years ago too, like even as a rookie, like he just wasn't shook. Like we saw, mm-hmm. so we've seen so many versions of Raptors playoff teams just kind of shrink in the moment. And, you know, for him to come in as a rookie and obviously draw that assignment in the second round, um, you know, going up against LeBron, like he wasn't phased. Um, so I'm expecting the same. And, you know, at the same time, we talk so much about the offense. And you're right, you know, he's one of those guys, like he didn't play a lot of fourth quarters in games during the regular season. Like Nick, um, I think, benched him for like a bit of a stretch there. Um, mm-hmm. in closing lineup. So I'd be interesting to see kind of what he can bring uh, on the offensive uh, end as well. You know, obviously not expecting him to be like a 20-point score or something, but even if he can give you a couple threes, um, you know, get to the free throw line and, you know, just consistently give you like 10, 12 points, I think that'll make a huge difference. Yeah, for sure. And I think he, he there is enough in his game right now to, to give you that kind of scoring. Um, but, uh, you know, as you mentioned, though, you know, it, even if a guy like Norm closes ahead of him in, in certain situations... I think that's okay um, because Norm's been really good. There's, there's no shame in being, you know, sat down for Norm, especially when Norm's in a groove too. So, um, yeah, I'm expecting a lot from Moji. I guess that's kind of related to keep burning question number number eight. Which player do you think will have a breakout um, in in these series playoffs out of the Raptors? Yeah, so I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna go with Norm and OG. Um, okay. Uh, you know, I think I do think uh, some of what Norm has done during the regular season is going to translate. And, you know, for all the reasons we just talked about with OG, um, you know, I think he's going to play a huge role. And, and like you mentioned, I think he is uh, finally going to get um, a lot more national attention, you know, especially with everybody watching uh, during the playoffs. Uh, this He's going to do a 20-minute interview with Malika Andrews and say 17 words. No, I can't wait, man. I, I can't wait. Uh, shout out Malika Andrews for going on, like, 25 different platforms to talk about uh, <laughs> And being asked about, you know, what's the food like in the bubble? It's it's really meticulous, man. The, 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 I don't know. Disney's just got to provide like a, I don't know, like a PR contact to answer these questions. Because every, no, I'm not even, there's not, nothing against Malika at all. I think she's a great reporter. Um, shout out to the time she asked Giannis about free agency uh, after the conference finals. That was, that was a great moment. Um, but like, you know, why is every NBA podcast I'm listening to start off with, people asking Malika Andrews like what's what's the meal of the day today like this is come on man we don't need this this is what happens when there's only like what 10 writers in the bubble yeah um, that's true 
yeah, you That's know, if it, if it was if it was one of us there, um, it'd probably be the same thing. And this guy would be complaining about not having uh, chicken feet and Taiwanese sausage for breakfast. Yo, if they don't have that, uh, you know, <laughs> how, can you, how can you really be a, a league that claims inclusivity? You know, <laughs> I wish there were more Asian players in the NBA just to hear one of them, like Wang Shiji, like breaking, <laughs> like Wang Shiji breaking quarantine because he wanted some kanji. <laughs> Oh, definitely, bro. Actually, you know what though? Us Asians, um, we're we're very hardy people. Like we're probably like you know, if Wang Yiji was in the bubble, he's probably bringing like a, a rice maker and making his own kanji in his room. It's like Jimmy <laughs> Butler's dribbling the ball, uh, you know, on the floor above him. Meanwhile, uh, Wang is getting all the complaints because his room just smells like stinky tofu. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yo, yo. oh, that um, would have been amazing. No, honestly, like if we had more Asians in the NBA, like we would have like players making dumplings together instead of going fishing and stuff. Like, I would love to see that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because there's a whole process of making dumplings. Like, some people are specializing at folding the wrapping the dumplings. Some people are good at, I don't know, mixing together the ingredients. Some people are good at boiling the dumplings. Oh yeah, and they would yeah. run out of decks of cards because Asians love to gamble, so they would just play big oh, two yeah. every night. Yeah. Man, I mean, seriously, what did the NBA say to like bicycle? Like, yo, let me get a uh, ten thousand packs of cards. Like, <laughs> they spent more money than they did on the quarantine meals, man. I was gonna say, man, Toma Fatina's really like, yo, come on, man. <laughs> I'm already broke. I run restaurants and casinos. They're specifically not happening right now. And now you want me to pay for ten thousand packs of cards? <laughs> Tillman Fertitta charging NBA players delivery fees is. Honestly, it's worth uh, an ESPN outside the line investigation. <laughs> yeah, I need a what's his name, Bob Lee, to just be like, "How much money do you have in your account right now?" No, but think about it, man. This is like if the NBA announced that a real sports bar and grill would be providing delivery in Florida. Like, what's the difference? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm pretty sure Tillman Fertitta right now is actually being the delivery person himself, so he can collect the tips. <laughs> No, the theory is uh, Tillman Fertitta snitched on Bruno uh, so he can suspend him without pay. Wow. All right. Let's make another joke about Westbrook there, but then I didn't. Um, okay. Yeah. For, I mean, you know, um, that was a breakout candidate, I guess. Uh, number question, breakout, um, key question number nine, burning question number nine. Uh, which team do you fear the most in the playoffs? Yeah. So I think it's pretty clear, um, you know, um, Milwaukee, obviously, in the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference. And to be honest, I haven't even thought that far about like the Lakers or the Clippers. I could probably mm-hmm. make a case that Milwaukee's the hardest matchup out of the three for the Raptors. I feel like their defense uh, just kind of suffocates uh, Toronto's half-court offense. And yeah. well- that's going to be a huge problem. And I mean, as much as they do such a good job scheming and like containing Giannis... Um, like you can't get around the fact that not having Kawhi is going to be huge for them in this series. Um, yeah, no, that's look Kawhi. As much as other guys stepped up in that Buck series, you know, Kyle averaged like nineteen five and five, and Norm had his did his thing, and Fred did his thing. Kawhi averaged thirty um, and guarded Giannis. That's 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 a lot. <laughs> that's just it's just a lot. Period. Like I don't know what else to say other than that's a lot. And of course, you had Danny Green guarding. Um, on the perimeter too. I mean, I think that size in the perimeter is kind of needed because Milwaukee has a really, really big backcourt. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I think Milwaukee is the right answer here. To be honest, after listening to uh, Stephen LeBron Radio yesterday uh, <laughs> with you and Cash, when you guys were specifically discussing the Lakers and the Clippers, um, you know, I, I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> you guys really did talk to me in a lot, a lot of Laker propaganda. <laughs> I didn't know Cash was that much on, on the Lakers. Um, obviously, they have LeBron, they have AD, but like the way you guys were talking about them, I, I, I thought they had Kobe and Shaq. Listen, man. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know I was doing Lakers propaganda. No, the Lakers Clippers, I know this is a whole separate conversation, but Lakers Clippers is super interesting, man, because you can make the case for both, I feel like. Like, you would not be wrong. Like, that's why it's such, like, a fascinating series, right? But, like, for for Raptors-Bucks, I mean, I think there's definitely a pathway for the Raptors to win that series. And, you know, again, I just go back to, in the same way that you give the Raptors the benefit of the doubt, because of that championship pedigree, because of the regular season that they've had, because we've seen uh, Nick Nurse as a head coach in the playoffs. Um, you also have to leave that kind of room for doubt for Milwaukee because of what happened in last year's playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you combine those two things, uh, maybe the gap between Milwaukee and Toronto isn't as huge. I mean, I think a, a lot of this, you know, series, if it does happen in the Eastern Conference Finals, um, I think coaching will be a huge thing. And, you know, I don't know. Like, I just I just feel like this series will go seven games, especially uh, because now you remove home court. And, and, you know, the Bucks don't have that advantage. I think that's huge for Toronto, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also huge that we don't got to go back to Milwaukee. Because, um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, we went to the same coffee shop like five times and the same restaurants a couple times, like, so this is a little, little, little bit small. Um, and then key question number ten. I agree with you. It is the Bucks. Uh, it's just defensively, it's just they present so many problems for the Raptors against what the Raptors do well. That yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. Um, I'm not gonna make any predictions about that series because I was wrong last year about it, um, and I'm very happy to be wrong. But yeah, can you yeah, actually that's... issue an official statement? So um, you know, coming off the excitement of Kawhi's game seven shot, you like wrote an article the next day and didn't even bother to pick the Raptors. That was very off brand of you, I felt like. Yeah. Um I don't know, man. I was really buying into the Milwaukee hype last year. I was like, man, I can't believe they beat the Boston Celtics in five games. <laughs> wow, that dysfunctional club with <laughs> backup with, center with, Al Horford. With Kyrie yeah. Irving and Bob Cousy in the backcourt. Yeah, um, it was. I, I don't know, man. I just, I just really bought into the Milwaukee hype last year, and I thought maybe the same issues as this year. And um, you know, I, I think at the time the Raptors bench was not showing up at all. Obviously, if you watch that Sixers series, that was just so tough. But I, I think what I didn't factor in is just, just like when you go against different opponents, um, the matchups change completely, and that frees up a lot of guys to do a lot. And of course, I think the Raptors also made adjustments to like change the way they were playing, so they weren't as specifically um iso heavy with Kawhi. and i think that helped a lot um yeah no i think i mean yeah. i specifically remember uh our former co-worker harrison sanford getting so mad at me because i thought the series was over uh when the bucks were up 2-0 because mm-hmm. like i mean at the time uh the bucks were putting up like historically great numbers in the playoffs right like when you were yeah, looking were. at point dif- differential, like it seemed like they, they were going to cruise. It is, it is easy to be historic when you play against Dwayne Casey's teams in the playoffs. <laughs> we, we might just got to knock like, you know, zero. Like we got to knock like 10 points per game from LeBron's averages against the Raptors. Just, 10 points, man. 
<laughs> That's like, ridiculous. Casey tax, man. Come on. I mean, look, I mean, you know, okay, whatever. He was beating up on like, you know, Tony Snell. Like, bro, they were throwing Tony Snell and, and Thon Maker against Giannis, man. Come on. But seriously, though, how did you feel after coming home uh, to Toronto, flying back from Milwaukee? How did you feel when they were down 2-0? I mean, I didn't feel great. Um, you know, it was actually funny because I actually, you know, because we went to Milwaukee twice, uh, we had the same Uber driver somehow. Again, Milwaukee's a very small place. I've never had the same Uber driver in Toronto before. <laughs> Just, you know, and I've lived here for a long time. But anyway, I got the same Uber driver twice in Milwaukee. And once it was on the way to the airport after the Raptors fell down 0-2. And Kawhi said, you know, we're going to Toronto to play game three. Uh, we talked to them then. He was just like, man, you know, this team is unbelievable. Like, the Milwaukee, I think we we're going we we're gonna to sweep Golden State. And I think we're going to be one of the greatest teams. And he was just talking. I was like, honestly, yeah, man, you guys look you guys look really good. Like, damn, you guys have Ursan Ido Silva. Like, he's able to hit all these dark-like shots. Like, what's going on here? And then we, <laughs> we we got back to the we got back to Milwaukee for Game Five, and we on on our way to the stadium, I think we we took um, we got the same Uber driver to Game Five, and the the, the matchups were completely changed. The, the tone was completely changed. He was like, "Man, Serge Ibaka is so good, and Kawhi <laughs> is so good. I don't know if Giannis is going to be that superstar." So I, I think a lot of people changed their tone during the playoffs and during that course of that series is what I'm saying. But yeah, I mean, you know. I don't know. The the, the the Bucks are just weird, man. I like I want to stand on the Bucks, but they're objectively like a really freaking good team. And if we're going to be realistic about it, Raptors are underdogs against them. But you know, I, I wouldn't count them out either. No, for sure not, man. Never underestimate the heart of a champion. Look out for those tweets uh, on a Yahoo Sports Canada account coming soon. Wow, eight hundred likes. Uh, key question, burning question number ten. Um, how are we going to celebrate the championship, the back to back championship? With social distancing still in place. So I've got this all mapped out. Uh, the social distancing. This, this is the research you, this is the research you did. Yeah, this took up my 3.30 to 4.15 today. So the social okay, distance right. parade will start at Pacific Mall. Uh, we are going to start with some socially distanced Peking duck um, to start off. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. The buses will take off from there. Basically, every single player, uh, you know, personnel, staff will uh, have their own uh, mini bus. Um, so, you know, okay. shout outs to Jim Sand getting his own bus. Um, and you are going to follow along the parade route, which is going to take six hours again. And you oh, would have bought... six hours because we're driving in from the <laughs> warden at Steeles, but all right. Well, I thought you were going to drop a Highway 7 reference. Um, so you would have, you are wearing a Stanley Johnson jersey because you somehow bought it when he had two garbage time steals against the Lakers. Okay in game seven of the finals and he says yo, throw- more, you know, <laughs> he one. says yo throw it to me so he signs your stanley johnson jersey the same way jeremy lynn signed your jeremy lynn jersey at the parade last year okay, so okay. um kind of that same thing happens oh, oh over under yep. is uh is stanley johnson scored more than uh jeremy lynn in the playoffs this upcoming year uh, unfortunately i'm gonna go over um I think okay, Stanley will Stanley will somehow find his way to like the big three tournament on an off day and, and drop 85 mm-hmm. points. Um, so this parade um, is heading down. Uh, I guess we're on steels right now. Um, this is where I kind of lose my sense of roads and, and oh, direction. Yeah, I thought you were so, a great driver. 
yeah, so I hop on the 407. Uh, they hop on the 407, and you see me driving at 40 miles an hour. Um, so they finally get downtown, and the parade will end at SVP Sports on Queen okay. Street. Um, wow. You know, a bit of a shout out to you. You know, Masai shouts you out. He references uh, the uh, okay. 10 things that you wrote about Game okay. 7 uh, okay. of the NBA Finals. And you are named the new regional manager of SVP, and that's how you leave Yahoo Sports. Oh, wow. I mean, uh, what a step up for me. That's... <laughs> <laughs> this guy's the lead warehouse manager at SVP. <laughs> Holy, wow. Um I can't wait to move clearance items. Um, <laughs> can't wait to can't wait to rock Puma with Adidas. Oh man! Every, every chance I get. Yeah, so that's how I envision the parade playing out. I got chills, man. I got chills. I, I want to hear Masai say, uh, "I said we will run it back in Toronto, and we have run it back in Toronto." And um, I want that to be the lead of our show going forward. Yeah. And, what um, are we gonna What are we gonna call the show next year? By the way. Um. Man, that's that's tough. You're putting me on the spot. I don't know. I feel like we Pat should just McCall? keep the name. We should just <laughs> we should just keep the name. To be honest, yeah, I guess so. I guess you could continuously run it back. Yeah. Um, but I was actually just thinking, like, what what is the parade going to look like? All jokes aside, because a there might not be a parade. I mean, um, the players are going to have to come back from the states, so that's a two week quarantine. <laughs> like, holy imagine coming back just to quarantine so you saying. have a parade players might just be like no, i'm good man come see us at uh the uh the board come come to sarnia come to the border there um you know we could just like you know wave across the river or something i like, think i think they're gonna have a party at disney world um at the pool not nah, you know, like, you know they're leaving disney world the first opportunity man you know they're sick and tired of seeing disney and no. like, mickey mouse and all that other um stuff. it's gonna be yeah. dj nasty uh spinning the new drake tracks um and somehow dwight howard because the lakers are still there dwight howard's gonna be the first one there um at the pool once again yeah i don't know I, i'm guessing there's gonna be no like any kind of parade like i feel like the guys are just gonna go home yeah which is going to be super weird. Like when Liverpool won the Premier League, like there was just a lot of live streams of them in a in an empty sort of mansion kind of situation, and people sitting on chairs with like a distant camera zoomed in. Like I don't know, it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't the same as the parade or even the parade in Liverpool last year for for when they won Champions League. So yeah, you know, I know. I, I'm hoping that uh, Bruno Fernandez and Mason Greenwood will be able to celebrate what, at Old Trafford next season. Mason Greenwood's name, get out of here, man! <laughs> get out of here! Any time you can shoot with two feet, is that what he can do? Uh, that's a young phenom, man. I'm so disgusted by this, man. I can't believe you switched sides so quickly. <laughs> can't wait! For, can't wait for you to start next year as a. As, as I don't know, an Aston Villa fan. <laughs> yeah, what other teams do I have left? Because I, I know you ripped Tottenham, uh, being a Tottenham fan on Stephen mm-hmm. LeBron Radio. Subscribe. Um, like, is is there a team that you would accept bandwagoning right now in the EPL? Honestly, if you wanted to hop on the Chelsea bandwagon, they're signing a lot of new young guys that are pretty exciting from the Bundesliga. Um, they have is, the American is, is player. DDA, is DDA Drogba not there anymore? Uh, no, he's no longer there. I think he's something with the MLS, maybe, or maybe I'm just remembering that he was on the Montreal Impact or something. But, um, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, but yeah, Chelsea's not a bad team to, to hop on right now because they're always going to be a powerhouse, but they're down right now. 
You can get it on the the you know the floor level, the, the ground level. They got some nice players, but of course you'd, you'd have to cheer for um, the one good American player there is right now, which is Christian Pulisic. And just you don't want to be an American soccer fan, man. They're 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 oddly annoying. Yeah, everything about the EPL is toxic. We've talked about this. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. Just just stick to basketball fandom. Well, that uh, that does it for the podcast, Alex. Um, anything you want to plug? Uh, maybe you got a personal podcast or something? Uh, no, I think we've talked about that enough. Uh, your career is actually more important than my own career right now to me. Okay. So, uh, everyone, keep checking out uh, Will's work, and uh, we're all excited to have basketball to be back in two weeks. And hope everyone stays safe. Yeah! Wow, what a great note. I was just—I thought you—I was—I was, thought you were going to plug the fact that we're going to do a rewatch of the uh, thirty-point comeback game. That's oh, actually that's, natural. Yeah, that's oh, not yeah. even forced. Oh yeah, that's right. We're gonna rewatch. We're gonna use that as an excuse to just uh, do like a Kyle Lowry appreciation uh, mm. podcast episode on Stephen LeBron Radio coming next week. So yeah, ch- check it out. And uh, yeah, uh, always a pleasure creating content uh, with you, Will. And can't wait to talk to you later this week. Uh, yeah, uh, likewise. So thanks for coming on, Alex. And uh, listeners, we'll be back next week. Run it back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.